A couple of weeks ago, Sam Ryman, our interim preaching pastor, began a series on death. And I came back from vacation and I saw that and I was surprised. It's not very often that we would talk a lot about death. And Sam is done two weeks and when he, continue, when he comes back, he'll continue with a seven week long series total of, on death. Working with middle schoolers and, and, and high schoolers a little bit and, and, and being young myself, I'm kind of getting out of it. But when we're young, we have this sense that we're invincible. So we don't talk about death very much. And when we do, it's usually our parents saying, you know, you too can be hurt. You too could die. But when I was a kid, I was scared of everything. And I was scared of death. On January 28, 1986, I was in the second grade, seven years old. That day, millions of students in their classrooms got together with their teachers and were excited about this. T minus 15 seconds. T minus 10, 9, 8, 7, 6. We have main engine start. 4, 3, 2, 1. And liftoff. Liftoff of the 25th Space Shuttle mission, and it has cleared the tower. We'll stop it there. And you can imagine as we're watching this, we're excited. We're excited to see the Challenger take off. And, and for me as a second creator, it wasn't so much the Challenger taking off as it was one of the passengers on the Challenger. Krista McAuliffe was a teacher. In fact, she was the first teacher ever to fly into space. And the, the idea was when she was up there, she was going to teach two classroom lessons from space. We were excited. And although I never met her, that year, during that time, she became America's teacher. And somehow she became my teacher. Somehow I connected with her, as did millions of students and other teachers around the country. 73 seconds after the Challenger left its dock, it blew up. And me, a second grade student, along with other students across the country, saw the lives of seven end. It was 10.33, or 10.38 Central time, right before lunch. And students and teachers had to figure out, what do they do now? I remember sitting there, and my, my teacher in, Mrs. Thorson was her name, and in disbelief, didn't know how to respond. But she was such a tender person that she wrapped us up and talked about what happened. And in a way only a grandma type person can do. 
she just gave us hugs and loved on us. We went to lunch and then we came back. Instead of going to recess, we came back and sat in our classroom and listened to more and, and talked more. That day I went home and my mom was at work, but my sister, who was so much brighter and wiser than me at the time, being 18 months older than I am, Actually, she's like 22 months. But she said, and, but she was a lot braver. I was a chicken. Everything scared me. So I said, Michelle, what happens when we die? She said, Kevin, it's like when you go to sleep and you just don't wake up. Death scared me. Today, death motivates me. Before I continue, I want to get to know the audience. And I think I have an understanding of of who we are as a church. On August 1st, I began my fifth year here at YZ as a a middle school pastor. So things I don't normally like to do is I don't like it when a preacher stands up and says, whoever's done this, raise your hand. So I'm not going to ask you to do that because I don't like doing that. I'm uncomfortable when I sit not there. But instead, if, if you'd please respond, if you agree with the statement, just for this little period of time, with an amen. Good deal? Amen. Good. That works. Good. So I'll read some statements. If you believe they are true, then respond with amen. The Bible is the word of God. Jesus means what he says in the Bible. So when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but by me, he means, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but by me. Point number three, respond if you agree. It is yours and my responsibility to share the good news of Christ. Matthew 28 verses towards the end of 19 and 20 specifically, we hear about the great commission where Jesus sends out his disciples and says, go and teach and make disciples and baptize. And we as a church are great. I was at a business meeting last week and we are great about sending missionaries all across the world. We do it all the time. You guys commissioned the middle school trip to go out to Corcoran, and as Carol told you earlier, 29 kids became Christians that day. 29 kids gave their life to Christ that day. 29 kids accepted the love of Christ that day. However we want to say it, 29 lives are eternally different because we reached out. Across the world, lives are different because YZ is reaching out. On August 2nd, Wednesday, 6.05, I was getting ready for a poolside Bible study. And as I was there, the poolside Bible study was about to start at 6.30 and I had the news on. And all of a sudden, Channel 5 was the first one to say... We have reports of a bridge collapsing. 
didn't know what it was. And all of a sudden we learned more about I-35 bridge has come down. It's collapsed. It shook us as, as students. And when we first came in, we watched the news for a while. And, and before we began our Bible study, we sat down and we prayed for that situation. A pastor friend of mine, his name's Eric Rodden. He serves at the church that I uh, previously served at, a Christ community in Rochester. And he sent me a, a YouTube video that was put together by John Piper uh, addressing death. And addressing what has happened with the bridge or what happens in death all the time. And he said some of these statistics that stuck out to me. He said 50 million human beings perish a year in this world. 50 million human beings perish a year in the world. 6,000 every hour die 100 every minute die according to a missions organization missions frontiers which kind of collects some data on on world religions and those kind of things estimate that one third of the world claims christ one third of the world claims to be christian that's taking Catholics and Orthodox and uh, Baptists, Methodists, Evangelicals, Lutherans, everyone who claims Christ, and we make up one-third of the world. We make up one-third of the deaths. So looking at that, 100 people die a minute. If one of them, one third of them are Christian, that means 66 people die a minute and don't know Jesus Christ. That means with your response, where we said that Jesus is the only way to heaven. That means 66 people die a minute and go to hell. That number needs to motivate us. That is a scary number. And we read that our road is narrow. But that's a scary number of people who die and perish and don't know Christ. So what is our response? What is it then? Getting this information, what do we need to do? Because church isn't a place where we just come and get information. We come to church to, to be motivated. To acquire knowledge so that we can change. To live out, to be better disciples. My challenge this morning is that if we are going to change those numbers, each one of us in this room need to become insiders in the spreading of God's message. What does that mean? An insider is someone who has influence and is Christ's representative with people. We need to be insiders. It starts with our 
family. If you turn your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. In fact, you don't even have to turn there, but if you want to look there, I'm not going to read a specific part of that. But that part of the that that passage of scripture is often used for marriages. It talks about a family, what our role in the family is, who we who we uh, are called to be. Last time I talked, I was on stage. I talked about uh, how we are called as husbands and wives, as spouses, to submit to each other, to care for one another. We as as Christ followers, with our spouse, we have an inside track to help them follow Christ. We have influence on each other. There are times that I don't use that influence very well. Being a pastor and and having at least 50 hours a week of my time dedicating to sharing Christ, sometimes when I go home, I don't do it. Ways to become insiders with your spouse or, or to do a Bible study together. To pray together. To talk about who we're influencing together. To talk about ways we're experiencing Christ together. We need to, with our spouses, be so connected and 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 so connected and be able to talk about Christ things that it's reflected. Because the second most important place that we need to have insidership is with our children. There are scary statistics that when your kids graduate from high school, they will no longer attend church. Scarier than that is when your kids graduate from high school, many of them, I don't want to say many of them, but Lots of them, or a good number of them, will decide to leave the faith. I've had parent after parent, and I hear stories all the time of parents mourning the decisions that their kids are making. Your insidership starts with your spouse. Your insidership needs to continue with your kids. What does this look like? It means when your kids are little, are you putting them to bed and praying over them and teaching them how to pray? When you sit down for a meal, do you encourage them to pray with you? When you go to church, are you, are you involved in things together? Or even when you go to different classes, Do you take the time to say, tell me what you learned today? There's something that every parent needs to know. Is that in the world there are millions of things trying to influence your kids. Trying to get them to buy this or play this PlayStation versus this Xbox. Or or to be wear these clothes or drink this soda or whatever. And all these all these media things are shouting out and millions and millions of signs. And the thing is this. They cannot compete with your influence. 
Today, still the largest single influence on a student's life, on a kid's life, is their parents. And it's often not what you say, but what you are choosing to do. If you are choosing to share Christ and be someone who speaks Christ, your student will see, your kid will see those things, and that will become a person of who they, of who they are. I have three beautiful girls: Samantha, Hannah, and Allie, and I love them to death. One of my things that people constantly say to me is, Kevin, watch out when they're teenagers. And I know life is hard for teenagers. And I know as they grow up, they're going to have to make decisions that have eternal consequences. The risk that I have is not spending enough time with them not being an insider with them so that I can influence the decisions that they're going to make. Our kids are precious. Our kids are precious. So being an insider begins with your family. It extends into your neighborhood. It extends into your neighborhood. And before I go any further, let me tell you that in these two areas, the first two that I'm talking about, where being an insider in your family and being an insider in your neighborhood, my wife, although she uses different terms than I do, is so much better at these two things than I am. Cheryl, Kevin and Gio, John and Renee, Mike and Kate, or Eric and Kate, Mike and Jody. Those are my neighbors. One of my friends and is a guy who lives down the road that I never thought I would spend time with. He's just different than I am. He smokes. He likes NASCAR. He, uh, he is, he is, he has a history of, of, uh, making some Choices that I would never make. Um, but when I moved in that neighborhood, I'm in a Bible study on Tuesday mornings. And one of the, the things that they challenged me to do is, Kevin, get to know your neighbors so that you can influence them with Christ. So I did. And in the beginning, I went to meet this guy. And, and I'll just tell you, his name is Mike. And I went to meet Mike and I, I walked out and... And the good thing is I have friends down the road, Kevin and Gio, and they're great at it too. So we went out, and it was easier for me to introduce myself that way, and uh, we started talking about fishing. I'm not a big fisherman, but I can sit on a boat for a while. So we went out fishing. And then I, I built this new home a couple of years ago, and, and he came over all of a sudden, and he's working on my basement. And then he's talking with my kids and he's talking with my wife and and my kids love him and and he has this living girlfriend who who is just so friendly and all of a sudden this relationship which was awkward and intentional in the beginning became friendship mike now talks to me about some of his addictions 
Mike now talks to me about some of the things that he doesn't like about church. And I don't know why Zeta is the right place for Mike ever to come. But I know that Christ's family is. And I know that I am confident that one day Mike's going to make the decision for Christ. I'm confident of it. It's hard, though, unless we're intentional about building relationships with our neighbors. We just won't do it. We are driving in our air-conditioned cars to go into our double garage with the automatic garage door opener, have a garage door that goes right into the home, and sometimes we never see our neighbors. Bill Hybels, the pastor at uh, the lead pastor at Willow, talks about how he established relationships with his neighbors. He says, one time I was taking my garbage out, and I saw my neighbor taking my garbage out. So I gave a little wave, and I went back in the house. A week later, again, I was taking my garbage out, and I saw my neighbor again. So I gave another wave and walked back in the house. And then he talks about, well, it came clear to me that we take our garbage out at the same time. So he would, he would purposely wait till his neighbor was taking his garbage out, walk his garbage out, just so they could have little discussions. And these little discussions, his neighbor knew that Bill Hybels was a pastor, and so he invited him to an Easter service. And the person never came, but continued, but Bill continued to take his garbage out and have little conversations. Now they have a friendship. And although the man's not yet a Christian, they're talking about Christ every time they take the garbage out. To be insiders in our neighborhoods, we need to be intentional. And when we're intentional at things, sometimes they begin awkward. But for the 66 people that die a minute and go to hell, we need to be willing to be in awkward situations. Being an insider begins with our family. It extends into our neighborhood and must continue into our communities. I, uh, I, uh, really came across the concept of being an insider when, when uh, one of the members at our church gave me a book by Jim Peterson it called The Insider. And I kept going on and I was reading The Insider, and then I read, actually I attended a conference with a guy named Michael Frost who introduced me to the concept of a third place. The third place is an idea that came from, uh, from the book A Great Good Place, by Ray Oldenburg. And the third place is, first place he would say is home. Your home, that's one of your places. The second place he said would be your, your job, your work, where you're going all the time. And he said this third place used to exist and, and has kind of ceased to exist was, was this place you would go to to share ideas. To not necessarily going there for that reason, but but it was a place where you met with different people. People who were not like you. People 
who had different value systems of you. Places like the hardware store used to be. Or places like the local diner used to be. I, my dad lives out in Pennsylvania, and, and this last election time of, our, of the Senate and, and Congress, we went out there, and, and I walked into this diner, and I watched my dad get razzed. Because what happened is he went to this, every morning my dad goes to the same diner and gets coffee and eats breakfast. He knows the owner, he knows everyone in there. It's that kind of place. And in this kind of place are, are people on different sides of the spectrum. Some of them are Republicans, some of them are Christian, are, uh, some of them are Republicans, some of them are Democrats. That was not a slip. <laughs> Some of them are Republicans, some of them are Democrats. Some are Christians, some are not. Some are male, some are female. Some of them are uh, blue-collar, some of them are white-collar, some of them are whatever. But I walked in and I watched my dad hear all these different ideas that if he just stayed in his car and listened to his favorite radio station, he would never hear. If we stay in our cars and listen to our favorite KTIS program, what influence does that have? If we continue and if we decide I'm going to be so invested in church that I have no opportunity to be with non-Christians, think of the influence that we lose. Those things are important. Christ talks about fellowship with the believers. It is very important. I work at a church. It's important that you come here. But it's important that you have friends who are not Christians. It is important that you have influence and and are in relationships that allow you to share Christ. So how do we do it? I said before, we must be intentional. It's not going to happen. In fact, there's statistics that show within three years of becoming a Christian, you're, those that are you, you surround yourself with are all Christians. We congregate with people that are like us, which is great because we encourage each other. We build on each other. Iron sharpens iron. But if we take people out of the world who like Christ, if we take Christ's followers out of the world, we take Christ with us. And we can't do that. It's important that we don't do that. The point, the, the hope of my message today is that it makes you uncomfortable enough to reflect. That it makes you unsure enough to seek God for answers. But it makes you confident enough to know that God is always with you. Amen.